Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons. I'm a health journalist, which means I spend my life asking tough questions to experts who really know their stuff, so you don't have to. This week, we're addressing concerns that the NHS is planning to invite women for cervical cancer screening less often. As always, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a comment or question, please do get in touch on Twitter by tweeting us at MedMinefield. So this week we're talking about smear tests or cervical screening, as it's also sometimes called. I myself have had the pleasure of having many smear tests in my life. According to reports published this week, smear test uptake has plunged to record lows. They've fallen from roughly 72% of women coming forward for their test in 2019 to 69.9% last year, which is obviously very concerning. And charities are now saying that this may well lead to an uptick in cases of cervical cancer, because that's what seems to have happened in America. So given this, you may be surprised to hear that NHS England is planning to change the frequency of smear tests from every three years to every five years. The topic is particularly pertinent this week because in this weekend's Mail on Sunday, our Deputy City Editor Francesca Washtall is telling the story of her diagnosis of cervical cancer at the age of 32, three years after a routine smear came back normal. So that would mean that if the frequency was changed to five years, that she would have been missed. This has already been trialled in Wales A few months back, NHS Wales issued a Facebook post where they announced that they were changing the frequency of their smear test programme to calling women every five years rather than every three years. And it sparked uproar and there was a petition with women saying lots of women are going to be diagnosed with cervical cancer late. It's very worrying given that 40% of women who are diagnosed late with cervical cancer don't survive. Interestingly, NHS Wales have since backpedalled on that plan and there are reports that that's why NHS England are stalling slightly. Surely the argument is that women like Francesca would just slip through the cracks. Now, experts say it's not as risky as you may have thought to extend the frequency to every five years because we now have a different way of testing for signs of cervical cancer or increased risk of cervical cancer. So prior to January 2020, smear tests involved looking for precancerous cells. It was a smear test looking for cells that looked to be dangerous, could develop into cancer. But now, from January 2020, we do a different test. It is called an HPV test. So what doctors are looking for is a sexually transmitted infection called HPV, human papilloma virus, and that's responsible for about 90% of all cervical cancers. And experts say that with this test, the chances of missing HPV that would then develop into cervical cancer is something like less than 1%. But what about the women who are in that small percentage? And is it true that the percentage really is that small? Well, joining me now is Destiny Wade, who was diagnosed with cervical cancer three years after her smear showed no signs of problems. Joining me now is Destiny Wade, who was diagnosed with cervical cancer three years after her smear showed no signs of problems. Destiny, we're talking today about the idea that smear tests may be every five years soon rather than every three years. Given your experience, what do you think about this? I think it's really, really concerning. Myself and, you know, a community of women that have now been diagnosed with cervical cancer, we were, you know, up to date with our smears. 
and our most recent one was negative and within that three-year time frame we have somehow been diagnosed with cervical cancer and I just think our concerns are that if we then extend that to five years I know from my circumstances I wouldn't be here now if my cancer wasn't caught for another two years so I think it's just really concerning that they feel that it's adequate enough every five years. Can I just ask a bit about your situation? When you had your smear test, the one before your diagnosis, do you know whether that was a smear test or was it an HPV screening? Had the change been made at that point? No. So my one and only smear that I had was prior to the change to the HPV testing. Obviously, now they have recalled since being diagnosed, they have done further testing and they have looked back at that slide and it has come back that there were abnormal cells. However, they were under the threshold of needing to report how many there were. So in that circumstance, obviously, I appreciate now with the testing, they are now testing for HPV first, which will then take you to, if you're positive, you then go to colposcopy where you have further testing. However, I still feel that there are a small percentage of women that are HPV negative and still diagnosed with cervical cancer. So as much as obviously the blanket rule is that, you know, 99% of cervical cancers are caused by the HPV virus, there are still, you know, a proportion of us that don't fall into that rule. So did you ever find out whether your cervical cancer was HPV related? So mine mine wasn't, no. Oh, wow. It, and that was confirmed? Yes. So, gosh, I mean, you you were in, you know, what, the less than 1% or something like that. Yes. I think it's less than 3% with, with smear tests. Can I also ask, as I understand at the moment, and certainly I think it was actually introduced for 17-year-olds when I was 17, so I was the cut-off age, the HPV vaccine is now given to, yep. I think, 13-year-olds. Boys and girls. Boys now. and girls, yep. And it was yep. in my year because they just introduced it, they backdated it. So it meant that up until the age of 17, they were giving it out. Were you vaccinated? Yes. So yet again, since this has all happened, I've gone back on my medical notes. So yet again, because I was a slightly older, I actually had to have three doses. So I think I had my first one at 15. And then I went on to have another two after that which was in line with their guidelines at the time, that obviously if you were slightly older, you had to have three. But yep, I had all three. And how are you doing now, Destiny? What was your trajectory of your your illness? So when I was first diagnosed in 2020, just as lockdown sort of hit, I had chemo, radiotherapy for three months. I was then thankfully given the all clear, was in remission for seven months. And then found out that the tumour was back, which yet again is very rare after having radiation. So then I then went on to have to have some major surgery and I was in hospital for a good sort of three weeks. Um, Recovery was slow. However, I was then given the all clear again. So I've had cervical cancer twice in less than two years, which yet again is kind of unheard of especially I wasn't even 30 at the time. I've just turned 30 now. But however, I'm hopefully next week, I will get the news that I'm one year in remission. I'm back at work. I'm a cancer nurse myself. So I'm back now on the other side again, back at work, looking after others. And obviously still trying to raise awareness as much as possible on 
cervical cancer and the importance of smears, but not just that, the importance of recognising if you have symptoms, go and get checked out, basically. Did you have any symptoms? I did, yeah. So for me, annoyingly, I had a smear test that was booked. However, it then got cancelled because of COVID. However, I voiced that I had symptoms. So I had some abnormal bleeding and some pain in my pelvis area. However, they were kind of ignored for about three, four months. And eventually I went to A&E and that's where I was diagnosed. Gosh. Well, Destiny, we're so thankful for you taking the time to tell us uh, your story today. No problem. Really grateful. Thank you and take care. No, thank you. So the HPV vaccine has been used as an argument for changing up the system for smear tests because now that such a large proportion of young women have been vaccinated against HPV, it makes it even more unlikely that they will go on to contract the virus and then further develop cervical cancer. But I think it's really worth bearing in mind that there is still a large proportion of women who have not had the vaccine. And this is true for our deputy city editor, Francesca Washtel, who's writing about her experience in this weekend's Mail on Sunday. She is 32, which means that she just about missed out on the HPV vaccine. And potentially, you could argue that there needs to be a different system for women who haven't had the jab. Well, joining us now is one of the leading experts in HPV in the country, Dr. Margaret Stanley, who's also a virologist based at Cambridge University, who can tell us a little bit more about the science behind this all. Dr. Stanley, what would you say to women who are in the very, very small percentage who have a clear smear test and then do go on to get cervical cancer within three years? You are a supporter of the change to five years. So what what would you say to those women? Well, when you say a smear test, it depends how they read the test. If it was reading the test by cytology, in other words, looking down a microscope at the cells, then it is possible to miss the diagnosis. If it was an HPV test, it's very, very unlikely that it would have been missed. So I think it's a possible scenario, but it's so rare. I think it's difficult to comment on it. And cytology is, that's how they used to do smear tests, isn't it? That's right. Change in 2020. You still take a sample of cells from the cervix. And what we did for 70 years as our first assessment was to stain these cells and look at them down the microscope and look to see abnormal changes in these cells, which would indicate that there was something nasty going on. That's a very precise way of doing it. And the people who did it were very, very skilled. But you may be only looking for four or five cells in the middle of several billion. So impossible to miss it. And so can you explain a little bit, you've kind of touched on it there, but why the HPV test is so much more reliable and potentially accurate than the previous method of smear tests? Okay, well, first of all, it's a molecular test. You're looking for DNA and it's very, very sensitive. You can find very small amounts of HPV DNA with the tests that are available. It can be automated and bloody machines are more reliable than people usually. So it's, it's a very sensitive test. So you don't miss the presence of HPV. What it doesn't tell you 
is whether there, there are any abnormal changes in the cells because you found the HPV. Because HPV is a very, very common infection, and pretty well 20 to 30% of women in their 20s and uh, early 30s probably have an HPV in their cervix. So just finding the virus doesn't necessarily tell you that you've got changes in the cervix. Then you have to look for the changes, either by looking at the cells or, or looking with a colposcope on a gynecological examination. So would there ever be a case where HPV would be difficult to detect? Well, if the sample wasn't very good, but you can even detect it in urine samples because HPV infection is not just in one place in your vagina and cervix. It usually affects the field. We call it a field infection. So it's very unlikely that you will miss HPV. Does that mean it's kind of on the external bits of, of the yes. area as well? and also in the anus, but it's not causing any changes there usually. That's very rare. But the cervix is a special sort of place. And is it possible, this is a theory I've heard, for you to contract HPV when you're, say, I don't know, 19, and it, it sort of disappears for a bit and then comes back when you're a bit older? Well, I don't think we have solid evidence for that, to be honest. You can probably get infected when you're 19 and control the virus infection so that later, because of some change in your immunity, it might come back. But I couldn't put my hand on my heart and say that's definitely happening. We haven't got very good evidence that that's the case. When do you think the change, well, do you think the change is going to come in? I know that NHS Wales have been trialling it, but do you think that NHS England are going to go ahead and change the um, interval to every five years? Well, it's in Scotland already, I believe. It's five years in Scotland and five years in Wales. And England is, I think, the decision has been made to go from three to five years. And to be blunt, when you make these public health policy decisions, they're not made trivially. They're made on the basis of very, very good evidence. And there have been huge trials involving hundreds of thousands of women across Europe and in Canada and the USA, looking at whether HPV testing is safe, sensitive, and is better than the conventional cytology. And the answer is yes. So this decision has been made on the basis of good evidence and what we know about the natural history of HPV infection. And what about cohort of women who aren't vaccinated against HPV? Should there be a different system for them? Should they be seen more often? No because you vaccinate women before they're infected so that you prevent them getting HPV. And the, the HPV vaccines are fantastic vaccines. They really do prevent you getting infected. If you've been vaccinated and you were vaccinated at a young age, you know, 12 or 13, before your sex life started, you are pretty well protected against those HPVs that are in the vaccine. And not all the HPVs that cause cancer are in, are in the current vaccines. So if you're vaccinated, you're pretty well protected against the common high-risk HPVs. But you still have a risk, a much smaller risk, of getting infected by some other ones. So you should stick with your screening. This is pretty disturbing, but another thing I've heard is that some of the cases that fall through the cracks, very rare cases, are in young women who may have, for whatever reason, been sexually active younger 
than before they got the jab. And in some cases, there's kind of horrific stories there involving abuse and that kind of thing. Is that something you've heard too? Yes. I mean, um, a colleague and I wrote a paper about this. It was published as a Lancet letter about, about five years ago. Sexual abuse and sexual activity in 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds is something which is really quite hazardous because if you get infected at that age, the cervix is undergoing all sorts of changes as you enter puberty, and that makes it more susceptible to the virus causing these changes. Women or girls who've suffered sexual abuse should be screened more regularly, in my opinion, and certainly before the age of 25. They certainly should be vaccinated. As I understand, HPV, the transition from HPV to cervical cancer is quite a long process. It doesn't kind of happen within a few months. No, it doesn't. You get infected and the majority of us will have a great immune system and get rid of the infection. It's about the 10% or so who can't really get rid of the virus, who get a persistent infection. And you can develop the pre-cancer not the invasive cancer, the pre-cancers, they come up within five to ten years after infection. But the invasive cancer takes about 20 years to come to fruition. So if you get infected when you're in your teens, you don't get the invasive cancer till you're in your 40s. But you get the pre-cancer when you're in the late 20s and early 30s. So that's why we are so concerned to get women screened in their 20s and 30s. In, in the case that we're discussing in this weekend's paper, the woman involved is 32 and she had a, a smear test, which would have been a cytology test, three years prior and that came back as normal. And then three years later, it turned out that she had two tumours, relatively large tumours in her cervix. What do you think has happened in that situation? Well, I think she probably had either an inadequate smear or a smear which just didn't show the changes in the cells. I think it was probably if her smear test needed to have been repeated very quickly. Do you think there's very, very small chance that she would have developed that type of invasive cancer in that short period of time? It's not unknown. All we can do when I say you're likely to get it within five years or within 10 years or whatever is that's on the basis of looking at the patterns in hundreds of thousands of women but for the individual woman individual person it's all about how much virus you got when you got it what your genes are how good your immune system is so each case has its own special history i can't be dogmatic about what this lady went through but just on the surface it sounds as though her smear was not a good enough smear or the screener missed the cells. But as I say, you could have only three or four cells in the middle of millions and you could easily miss them. An HPV test would have said that she had the high-risk HPV and then one would have expected another smear and a cytology or a colposcopy and she probably would have been diagnosed earlier. But move from nothing to an invasive of cancer in three years is very rare, but not unknown. And is there any evidence that something can be triggered within the immune system that can cause the cancer to develop perhaps at a more rapid speed? 
Well, smoking. <laughs> this sounds crazy, but smoking is certainly a, a risk factor for the development of cervical cancer. And that's because many of the um, factors in cigarette smoke are excreted through the skin and surfaces, and so they can promote changes in cells. And your hormonal status and injury to the cervix. But there are a number of accessory factors, but the one factor that really matters is whether you're HPV infected or not. Well, Professor Margaret Stanley, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for sparing some time. Thank you for listening to me. And everybody should come for their smear. So there you have it. I never knew that smoking is a risk factor for developing cervical cancer. And with that, I shall bid you farewell. That's all we've got time for on this week's Medical Minefield. You can find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in old school paper format or on the Mail app or by visiting mailplus.co.uk. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at MedMinefield or visit our website, medicalminefield.com, where you can access all of our previous podcasts. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then.